0: At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
1: Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. Writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, I have a meaty middle about how to write a conclusion, and a quick and dirty tip about the difference between the words rebut and refute. Let's start by seeing what Edwin Battistella has to say about writing conclusions. Writing essays is complicated work, and writing the ending to an essay is often the hardest part of that work. Endings are tough for several reasons. You may be tired from writing, or tired of what you've written. You may feel that you've made your point sufficiently and that no more needs to be said or can possibly be said. You may feel like just tying a bow around the essay and calling it good. But doing so is a mistake. The ending is your last chance to make an impression. And even if you try to write a powerful, substantive ending, there are plenty of ways to go wrong. Repeating, equivocating, going off on a tangent, introducing a call to action from out of nowhere, marveling at the mysteries of the universe, tacking on an afterthought, and so on. I know because I've made all these mistakes. With so many ways to go wrong, planning the ending is too important to leave until the end. Consider the analogy of a road trip. If you're on the highway, you want to know where the exit is. Slow down, signal, and safely leave the highway. If you're driving too fast or are in the wrong lane or if the road is hazardous, you may be in for an accident. So think about the ending all through the essay, perhaps even finding ways to drop foreshadowing clues as you go so the ending seems natural rather than forced. Your ending should also match the purpose of the piece of writing. An opinion essay might end by reinforcing a particular course of action and its outcomes. A historical essay might connect the material discussed with what happened later or could happen in the future. Satire might end with a wink to the reader, and analytic writing might offer readers a chance to test their thinking abilities. Even a listicle has a natural ending. The last item is often the most complex one the item that the others in the list prepare the reader for. Besides matching the purpose of the writing, the ending should be in proportion to the rest of the work—probably between 10 to 15 percent of the content, but no more than 20 and no less than 5. Finally, an ending should not be over-signaled with transitional phrases like in-conclusion or to-summarize or even so— it should emerge naturally, almost inevitably, from your points. One of the best ways to refine conclusions is to notice how some writers you admire handle their endings. Take Sam Anderson's New York magazine review of The Anthology of Rap, in which he discusses rap as written poetry. His ending teases us with, quote, and now to ask the ultimate question, who is the best rap lyricist of all time? unquote. He gives us his shortlist, his reasoning, and his choice, and leaves us with a reminder that he's just talking about rap as poetry, not rap as performance. The ending reminds us that there are different ways to think about rap. Or consider Nadia Spiegelman's New Yorker essay on the 200-year-old Bureau of Found Objects in Paris— she takes us to that quaintly named Lost and Found Bureau and shares the experiences of people looking for lost objects. Her ending takes us out the door with them. Quote, As people leave the bureau, the communion of the waiting room fades. Unquote. She explains she and we see the relationship between people and objects differently at the end. Our possessions become things waiting to be lost. One more from Robin Marantz-Hennig's New York Times magazine piece called Taking Play Seriously, a longer essay with a longer conclusion. Her 7,500-word article on the biology of play begins at a lecture by the president of the National Institute for Play, and she asks us to think about what play is good for. The essay goes on to describe the evolutionary and neurobiological basis of play and its benefits. The conclusion—a little over 400 words, or 5 percent—returns the reader from the world of science to the everyday, even touching on new insight from the talk at the National Institute of Play. It reasks the opening question as, what would be lost if play is a thing of the past? What the examples from Anderson, Spiegelman, and Henning show me is that a good ending both reinforces and reframes an essay— when we read, we enter into a literary experience with a writer, getting into their thoughts for a time. A good conclusion takes us smoothly out of their thoughts and back to our own, with a new perspective and a renewed curiosity. That segment was written by Edwin L. Battistella and originally appeared on the OUP blog. Battistella teaches linguistics and writing at Southern Oregon University in Ashland, where he's served as a dean and as interim provost. He's the author of Do You Make These Mistakes in English?
2: Bad Language and The Logic of Markedness. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages. And you can get it on your desktop... Or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then with phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com grammar? That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com grammar today.
0: Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Cheers to a great day and this ice cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Or your grandma here with us making carne asada. She does love a cold Corona. Throw in some dancing. We can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona? And your grandma. Or we could keep it simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks. Salute to the perfect day. Corona, la vida más fina. Get your corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Corona port Chicago, Illinois.
1: A listener named Luke asked me to write about the difference between the words rebut and refute. Rebut came to English in the 1300s from an old French word that meant to thrust back. Refute came later from Middle French in the 1500s, but its Latin roots mean something very similar, to drive back. So the etymology doesn't help us much here. The ways the meaning have resolved today, rebut means to make an argument against something, to make it, and refute means to prove your case against something, to prove it. In other words, if you rebut something successfully, you have refuted it. In trying to find examples, I came across many well-known writers who used these words incorrectly, and Merriam-Webster's online dictionary allows refute to have both meanings, so the confusion seems widespread. Still, many style guides, including Gardner's Modern English Usage and the AP Stylebook, strongly say we should continue to make a distinction between the two words. My suggestion, and that of many style guides, is to choose another word that will be more clear to your audience. For example, instead of saying, you can't refute my point, it might be more clear to say, you can't disprove my point, or you can't argue with my point, if that's what you mean instead. Thanks for the question, Luke. Finally, I have a family-lect story. I like this one because it's so straightforward. Hi, this is Mary from Lincoln, Nebraska, calling with a familect story. For as long as I can remember, at family gatherings, my family has played the board game Trivial Pursuit. Many years ago, a game ended on the question, who is Fred Flintstone's best friend? And ever since, any question that's super easy to answer is a Barney Rubble, even when we're not playing Trivial Pursuit. Thanks. Thanks, Mary. Since my family plays board games, too, I can just imagine how Barney Rubble stuck as a familect word. If you want to share your familect story—the story of a word your family and only your family uses—leave a voicemail at 83-321-4-GIRL, and you might hear it on the show. And be sure to tell me the reason, because that's always the best part. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find me at the home of my podcast to network, QuickAndDirtyTips.com. And remember to check out my new video course on LinkedIn Learning. One reason I'm so excited to tell you about it is because it's not just my course you can likely get free, because at least in the U.S., most libraries have access, and you can watch from your home computer using just your library card number. Plus, many people can get LinkedIn Premium through work, and LinkedIn gives U.S. veterans free access. So once you can get my course free, you can also get the thousands of other fantastic LinkedIn learning courses free. I feel like I'm introducing you to a wonderful world of learning. So get to LinkedIn Learning and then search for my course, Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing, and then explore everything else they have to offer, too. Thanks to my producer, Nathan Sims. And that's all. Thanks for listening.